with issue for all women. All right, listener, Mickey here to bring you news of this week's Sunday Chops. I got on the Zoom with fierce AF campaigner Fiona McKenzie, glowing with new motherhood and an even fresher MBE, the latter in recognition for all the hard and excellent work she's done with We Can't Consent to This. Now, my description of what We Can't Consent to This is and does also serves as your heads up that some of, in fact, most of the stuff Fiona and I chat about in this podcast is, to put it bluntly, fucking horrible. And that is because Fiona started We Can't Consent to This in 2019 to highlight and then to campaign against men claiming rough sex as a defence against injuring and killing women and how violence against women and girls during sex is being normalised. Choking, or to give it its more accurate name, strangulation, comes up a lot in these cases and Fiona and I do go into detail of what that entails. There is hope, though, amid the fucking horror, and a lot of that is thanks to Fiona and her team. But I'll let her tell you the good news. Hello, I am joined on the Zoom by Fiona McKenzie, one of our favourite self-proclaimed random angry women and founder of We Can't Consent to This, a campaign highlighting the alarming trend of men claiming rough sex as a defence against injuring and killing women. Fiona, hello. Hello, Mickey. Lovely to be back. Lovely to have you back. Shame about the topic. Yeah. Uh, first of all, congratulations on your recent MBE and indeed child. The MBE is, I'm not quite sure to make of it. I'm just, I'm, it's literally quite startling and, and very honouring. And, and we also had a baby last year and we changed the law. So it was a huge year and it's been all, all a bit kind of wild. It feels like 2022 is going to be hopefully a return to a bit more normality. I've got to say, you just told me this off air. I'm going to share it with the listeners. You changed the law and had a baby on the same day. Yeah, it was great. So we, we literally changed the law in the afternoon and then so the Queen gave it approval and then we went into hospital uh, like four or five hours later and um, the midwife was so amazing because she just didn't care. <laughs> she was just, stop trying to make ridiculous small talk about irrelevant law changes. <laughs> You're having a baby. Push. <laughs> oh. um, I'm sure she will be very interested if we were to talk uh, talk later. But yeah, it was it was a really hectic week and a big jump, obviously, from dealing with sort of very important sort of parliamentary law change and then moving straight into full time first baby motherhood. So uh, yeah, it was a bit of a head turn in that. Another baby's a bit older. I think I'm back, and as I think we we're going to discuss, there's plenty of need for more campaigning this year. I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, I'm going to forgive you for making me feel like a lazy bitch. And before we get into the nitty gritty and sky screaming, can you please remind the listeners when and why you started We Can't Consent to This? It wasn't initially a campaign. I set up a website in 2018 at Christmas time because there was a woman called Natalie Connolly who was killed by her partner. And he was prosecuted, he was convicted of gross negligence manslaughter. So something that you get if you are a negligent bouncy castle operative or you know, you, you, you don't do your kind of health and safety check properly. And he got sentenced to like three was it three and a half years, sort of just under four yeah. years, for an astonishing sustained series of acts of violence against her. And he had claimed that most of these injuries were due to rough sex. And this claim was accepted by the court. It was accepted by the CPS in, in charging him with manslaughter rather than murder. And he he got this ridiculously small sentence. And I thought this was such an outrage on its own. And there were lots of other, you know, fantastic feminists who were also shouting about this on online. And what I also knew was because a woman had been killed and I was at university, like literally 15 or 20, 20 years earlier, this claim had been used before. This claim that terrible, terrible face of violence was actually just rough sex that she wanted 
and it had been used successfully through the years in getting men off with like basically murder. So I started collecting this as a project and, and, and sent it to Harriet Harman MP, who's a fantastic MP and was fuming about this. And, and from there, the campaign was born, which is we identified there is this massive issue with terrible acts of violence being claimed to be consensual rough sex and also a, a huge societal issue in women in their sex lives being violently assaulted by their partners. And that this was almost not being recognised as, as an issue by, I guess, feminism. And women were also then going to the police and being told, well, you could have consented and you know, not being prosecuted. We've obviously got lots of things we want to campaign on, but we successfully changed the scope of the Domestic Abuse Act, which became law just in last year, and made it really clear that you cannot consent to serious violence or death. And the hope is that once this is actually working, men will stop being able to be claimed successfully that women consented to you know, terrible harm or, or, or to their own killing. Fiona, you came on our show back in December 2019, so just over two years ago, and you did explain this when you were on the show then, but I think it is worth repeating that a person not being able to consent to being harmed was already law. Why wasn't it being taken seriously? Yeah, and, and also, should be clear, we're talking about the law of England and Wales here, because yeah. this is, like, we have more to do in Scotland and Northern Ireland. So yeah, there was already a famous case, so all law students have heard about this, uh, a famous case in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, where gay men, consensual sadomasochism, were prosecuted, and it was established, there were lots of appeals, and it was established that you should not be able to consent to serious harm in law. It shouldn't be a formal defence. And the issue that we found was that this case, which is about consensual sadomasochism, had basically shaped the debate on this. So, you know, this is how people think about this issue. And what we were saying was that it was actually women who were being injured by men and killed by men and a smaller number of gay men being being killed and injured by their sexual partners. Men who were perpetrators generally had a really long history of domestic abuse or serious violence against women, rape, kidnap, other murders, like just horrendous. And so although the, the law should have been working to stop men being able to claim successfully that women had consented, it just wasn't working. Like it just literally wasn't working. But Broadly speaking, it has always been the case in most of our sort of adult lifetimes that you shouldn't be able to consent, that the law wasn't working well enough for women. That's what Parliament aimed to change last year, with more work, I think, to do this year to, to really get it work. And just to clear it up before we move on, how many women in the courts of England and Wales have used the rough sex defence? Oh, sorry, yes. It's, it's really important to be clear. So we have found zero women who have ever claimed... <laughs> a man that they have violently injured or killed, and in fact, women very rarely murder women, but there are no women who've ever tried to use a rough sex defence. It is men who use this in terrible violence against and against women and gay men, also in smaller numbers. And I think that's a really important distinction that the people still, I think, struggle with the idea. Isn't this just BDSM? Isn't this just, you know, consensual stuff and it's going wrong and then the courts are getting involved and that's really unfair? No, this is about men doing terrible acts of violence and trying to get away with it by claiming that women consented to it. So it really is, you know, it's a serious issue for feminism. It's a serious issue for the courts. And I think actually a serious issue for Parliament, which is why they, why they did actually really go full tilt at trying to change, change outcomes. 
But despite that, and I am sorry to sound like the voice of doom, but this is really fucking doomy stuff. Even since you worked your asses off and got that amendment into the domestic abuse bill, the rough sex defence is still being used. So listeners might remember us talking about the horrific killing by choking of Sophie Moss by Sam Pybus. Pybus was given a sentence of just four years and eight months. Fiona, can you talk us through what happened next? Because it was an absolute shit show and you are absolutely allowed to swear if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think I think a shit show was what we described it in as our in our in our formal emails. <laughs> <laughs> the official campaign position was it was a monumental disaster at every single stage of the criminal justice system and everyone involved should give themselves a shake, to be honest. It was just a mess and apocalyptically bad for those who sort of knew and loved Sophie. So the Attorney General decided that the sentence given to Sam Pybus was unduly lenient or likely to be unduly lenient. So he didn't get a long enough sentence and she referred it to the Court of Appeal and said, we want you to consider whether this sentence should be basically reviewed and and hopefully increased. And and so we, our, our campaign group, so we can't consent to this and the Central Women's Justice, along with Sam's ex-wife, we prepared a pack of information to support that Court of Appeal discussion to say strangulation is used as essentially terrorism of women in intimate relationships. It has long-lasting, terrible, serious harms, even when it's not fatal. Strangulation to unconsciousness is brain damage. That rough sex defences were being used by men to evade serious charges and that Parliament had acted just literally kind of weeks before these court cases um, had kicked off to change the law and change outcomes in cases just like this. And we wanted the courts, the judges in that court, to consider this and as part of their, their decision-making. So it got to court, the Court of Appeal, so the panel judges, and uh, the, the, the presiding judge, main judge uh, rejected our attempt said that it wasn't basically agreed that it wasn't relevant because what we were talking about was non-consensual strangulation but this was consensual strangulation so it was Ah! right (laughs) and I mean hearing that it was just like what are you doing (laughs) what are you doing and she's a lady as well but as we all know we're all prone to incompetence and errors of judgment I'm gonna chip in here I had a really interesting off-air chat with a lawyer who specialises in defending rape cases. She's a woman. And she said that when she walks into a court and she is defending a rapist, what she wants to see on the jury is mainly women, mainly middle-class women. And her theory was, it's almost a talisman. If they can find something that that woman did wrong, that meant it happened to her, they cannot do that thing and feel like it won't happen to them. Yeah. I think there's something really powerful about that, um, about women's not always having the clear sightedness to recognise what's happening in reality. There's also something about women in the law being pushed into defending sex cases, what they call sex cases, but it's almost this kind of awful reversal of justice that you have women who get so a career pathway end up defending in quite large numbers men who commit terrible acts of violence against women. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's really something in that. And it, when you, I think you mentioned this earlier, but it's, it really mirrored our experience of talking to men and women about 
what we're campaigning on. And all men are totally clear-sighted about this. There are like zero men who struggle with what's actually happening in reality. Lots will say, yeah, okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty grim what's on the porn sites, and yeah, I don't watch it anyway. But, you know, there are lots of men who need reminding these are terrible things to do to women. But no men struggle with it. And I do find that women will much more often think, oh, but, you know, some women love that kind of thing. So maybe it was, or you know, how does how does this square? And I think there's almost a, there's almost a fear to face up to the awful reality. Mm. I think men have no issue facing up to you. So, of course, the Court of Appeal decision in some private case, it is what it is, right? There's really no further avenue through the courts for this. But there's something in that, that you can't look to women to be the ones who are kind of the, the aggressive doers of justice on this. And I, I think it is especially distressing when it is a, a female judge or when there are sort of women involved in, in these cases because you think, shouldn't you know? Shouldn't you be able to look at this and say, well, actually, there's another, there's another story here? And I think there's so much more work to do to, I guess, get that through. But so it's so interesting what you say on on juries and jury makeup and, and why women are just not as perhaps willing to see the awful truth <laughs> of what men will do to women. And yeah, how do we address that? Absolutely. And definitely a long way to go because it seems that women just aren't getting any better at not being strangled to death during sex, are we? Yeah, <laughs> I think, I mean, you, yeah, exactly. What can we do? I mean, is, is, should we target women as their next campaign or should we actually try and get the men to stop it? <laughs> it's the conundrum that just keeps on giving. <laughs> I take a very positive view. I don't think any of these men are born murderers. I think there's so much, you know, I think I think there's a lot on, you know, the normalisation of strangulation of women through porn, we have talked about before, but it is now so common for men to strangle and be spit on other acts of violence against women and sex and that was not always the case like it used just to be sex pervert bad men who would do this who i think were, were probably in smaller numbers than now but it's super normalized now and that i think is a huge pushback from like feminists from the law and, and ultimately from men but there is something in this that you know i don't think we're ever going to be able to eradicate men killing women I thought you were just going to stop there. I don't think we're going to be able to yeah. eradicate men. There's plenty, plenty of kind of older school feminists who definitely dream of like the island <laughs> where the women are going to live. And... Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, like us, and like you've just hinted at there, you're not really down with the normalisation of male violence against women, particularly choking. And I put that in inverted commas because I think that that word, even when actually strangulation is maybe a, a better, more accurate description it plays it down a bit. So can you tell us a bit about the latest research, which you mentioned earlier, into non-fatal strangulation, which is, I've got to say, a really insidious, overwhelmingly gendered and all too common slice of domestic violence? Completely, yeah. So we have an excellent researcher who's pulled together all of the available the available facts on, on non-fatal strangulation. It is astonishingly harmful. It is, like, it is the worst and most specific form of violence because it is something that's carried out absolutely vast majority by men against women it requires really strong grip to be able to to kill someone through strangulation and it also requires sustained application of force so a woman who has been killed has been subjected to a long period of strangulation 
And to be able to do that and to look in someone's eyes, eyes while you do it is absolutely horrendous. And women who are not killed by strangulation have often still been subjected to very sustained violence where, you know, they are conscious and they are, they are able to know what's happening to them, but they can't respond. Or they are unconscious very quickly. You know, you can cause someone to fall unconscious within a couple of seconds, which is a minor brain injury. And minor brain injuries, you don't want brain injuries. You know, brain injuries are desperately serious. They, they accumulate. You can, you know, there's, there is actually some suggestion that it might cause the kind of early onset dementia type symptoms that we see with concussions in sport. But it is the second biggest cause of stroke in women under 40, strangulation. It causes miscarriage, causes very substantial psychological issues, which are in response to the trauma of what's happened, but also just the particular nature of strangulation. You have women who are confused, who make strange decisions, essentially are sort of psychiatrically disturbed after an act of strangulation. And it is astonishingly gendered. I think that's the, the... the biggest thing is our researcher Helen Bichard is wonderful. She she pulls together cases of, of strangulation in one US city she looks at, and you know of, of 300, 298 were men committing that mm-hmm. act against women. It is literally the worst thing, and its use in sex against women is of and should be of like urgent, desperate concern to all of us because there is no. I mean, and I, and I actually know that no men who do this believe. There is a safe way to strangle, but there is no way to safe way to strangle. There is no sort of jolly choking that is perfectly okay, and it's the dangerous type you need to worry about. Like, and and places like TikTok and Instagram are absolutely rammed full of choking content where teenage girls, children are literally being coached into how to accept strangulation, how to do it, like how putting the onus on girls, literally teenage girls. Well, there was an article in Teen Vogue as well, I think, about how to enjoy choking play. Yeah, yeah. So we, and we've had a massive goal at pretty much every major sort of social media site and, and publication on this because it is so normalised that women should accept this. To be clear, this is new. This is not something that was the case 30 years ago. Like, this is something that has come from, and it's come from porn, and it's come from the men who used to make porn who would include strangulation, which is this kind of particular serial killer act of control. It is just so desperately awful. Who would include it deliberately in the most extreme violent content that they were producing. And it has proliferated through porn now so that men will covertly record their dates, them strangling their female partner to unconsciousness, and then put it on the major porn sites. I mean, like, <laughs> it's just... It's horrendous. <laughs> it is horrendous. And and the other place that it was, it might be like relatively recent in porn, but it has been in the realms of domestic abuse for centuries, right? Yeah, completely. I mean, this is absolutely something that men do to women to, to sort of physically control them, to frighten them, to show them they can kill. That is why it's repurposing is actually a really positive thing that women should get on with is mind-bending. And I think something that's really clouding all of this is that about a century ago, men who, like, this is horrible, but basically men noticed that if you asphyxiated a man, he would get an erection. So, and they did this, like, partially through when they were hanging murderers. And so then this became a a trope, if you like, of 
the violence that men would do to themselves. So, men, you know, so there are, and I'm sure we can all call to mind certain like pop stars. There was a Tory MP who killed themselves through acts of strangulation, which are sexual in nature. And because of that, those men doing that to themselves then turns up in court cases where women are being violently assaulted by what we would call abusers <laughs> and used by judges to justify the fact that, like, people love this kind of thing and it's fine and you should just get on with it. Well, absolutely nothing that we've talked about <laughs> has given me a boner, Fiona, I'm going to be honest with you. So grim. <laughs> it's so, so, I did love the, I love the caveat there that you went, this is horrible. Like, the rest of it's been fine. No, it's, it is all horrible. Yeah, I don't know why some of it seems worse than other bits, but I, you, you, there is, there's also an issue in campaigning on this, I should say. You, you get, like, you don't get used to it, but you, you can forget just how terrible even the tiny bits of it are. And, you know, I, I shock myself sometimes with just this is awful like this is all of this is terrible and you are shocked anew by just how much of this is is out there how bad this is and and the fact that we're starting to talk about it now there is good press coverage of why actually strangling women is kind of bad I want to go back to a point that you made that that is is so key and I think is part of the normalization and that is actually how long it takes to strangle someone to death and it's 5 minutes it's 5 minutes of sustained pressure they may lose consciousness way before that but 5 minutes of sustained pressure and within lockdown so since we last chatted in 2019 we saw the man who murdered his wife in a moment of madness. And it's actually, no, that wasn't a moment of madness. That was five minutes of sustained strangulation. And I think people don't realise. That is the one thing that people get wrong about strangulation. So everyone in this country knows from watching telly that strangling people is how you kill them. Like, everyone knows that. People don't know how long it takes. Like, they, they really don't appreciate how long it takes and if you you know if you watch your phone clock around for five minutes imagine doing an act of violence for that long it is such a long time it is not a momentary act it is not a slip a fall it is intensely serious sustained violence and I think again that's why when these men are killing women and and, or or even assaulting them and, and the women are reporting it the fact that this is brushed off as non-serious, that in the words of the judge in one of these cases, that this is just a risky sex act. It's appalling. <laughs> and I think we need to really heavily challenge the idea that strangulation can ever be non-serious, mm-hmm. gentle, fun, right? And there is there's new law coming in shortly, which will create a new offence of strangulation because strangulation has been treated as too non-serious essentially by the courts for too too long clearly law change alone isn't going to fix this so what else needs to happen so we want parliament to come back to it like law change never fixes everything the the whole point of our campaign and and what parliament was trying to do was to was to change the behavior of people who work in the criminal justice system to change the way that perpetrators think their chances are working so the law change is great I think the law change will really have an impact on on thinking on this. It's already been taught in unis, which is a big deal. You know, it's being is you know being taught to law students that 
strangulation of women has been excused by mass sex claims and, and terrible violence and, and this is something that we should be concerned about. That's huge. But yeah, we need Parliament to come back to this and we need all of the agencies of the state. So we need police, prosecutors, the judiciary, we need the Attorney General's office, we need you know every organisation who might have contact with victims of perpetrators to change their thinking on this so that they don't fall into the narrative that it was erotic asphyxiation, it was a risky sex act, she was up for it previously, she knew what she was getting into, how is he to know that it would be fatal? Um, changing that is more work for parliamentarians and also for, for us as campaigners. There's no question that we will continue to need to push on this. It would have been nice if we started to hear some of those echoes in any of the recent cases, and we haven't. You must be banging your head against a wall because you worked so hard and made such an impact on awareness of this subject that the law got changed and then nothing's changed. It's really disappointing, but like as we all know from doing our jobs, like if you say you're going to do the thing, you then have to do the thing. And I think that's what's missing is we need police prosecutors everyone to join up and actually start to change the way they respond to these cases. It's a really hard message. You're basically getting, you're saying to people, you're doing your job wrong, you need to change the way you do your job. Um, and people get defensive and, and default to the old world. But yeah, I, I am hopeful we have, there was a case prosecuted just before Christmas of a man who raped a teenage girl and he tried to claim it was BDSM and rough sex and he was prosecuted successfully and he was you know his claims weren't accepted by the court it's really important for women who are listening to this um, and it will be women um, in, in the vast majority who, who will have experienced this if you have been assaulted by a partner you don't have to worry that the law is automatically not going to work for you. you you can if you want to report and if you report and it goes wrong that's something that needs to be solved, not something we should just accept as, as you know, the way things are. Because um, what I really don't want to happen is for women to just, even after law change, to not feel like they can report a crime that they want to report. It is so worrying when you when you see these cases come through and you just see you know, more and more problems that you need to fix. These problems are well recognised. I did maybe want to include a call to action for our MPs to return to this this year and really start to look at things like sentencing guidelines where, you know, if you cannot convict a man of the worst murder, then can you increase the sentences that you give to him so that you don't just end up giving these men three or four years in prison? It's, it's looking absolutely at every single bit of where this is going wrong. And I think also parents need to have difficult but vital conversations with their kids because when this is being introduced to to kids to teenagers as normality this is what sex is then you know there has to be something where we step in as adults and say no this isn't how sex is this isn't how sex should be there is no way of doing this safely burn teen vogue stop looking at tiktok I mean, I hate to announce things when I'm still in my pyjamas uh, in January, but <laughs> I'm on maternity leave. But TikTok and Instagram in particular, basically any site that's popular with teenagers and who market themselves to 13-year-olds need to immediately take proper action against normalising this kind of stuff. It is apocalyptically bad on there. Yes, you're right. 
like 13 year old boys shouldn't think oh well I've got to suffocate my girlfriend when I grow up you know it's it's so bad <laughs> I mean there's all sorts of kind of you know things you can say parents don't let your children have access to the internet you know never <laughs> just don't let your kids do anything um, but but I you know 10 year olds are going to get access to extreme porn at the moment and the the range of options available are things like don't give your charge to smartphone government are going to act this year I think to make porn sites responsible for their content so that they if they you know show 10 year olds extreme porn that they get sanctioned in some way that would be I think a big step because the harm to teenage boys in particular watching this is so great like it is just unbelievably huge and we're only starting to see that now with you know we, we, we see a whole series of teenage boys late teens boys who have been offending since they're sort of 13 who've been committing like the most violent rapes against women and they claim it's rough sex and it's what they've watched in porn because they've been watching porn since they were children like, you know, young children mm-hmm. that's unacceptable <laughs> like, it's so unacceptable and it's not just going to take the government acting on porn sites it's not just going to take parents talking to children but it's one of these kind of full system things that will take I think quite a long time I think the earlier that kids get access to this and you can you can put all sorts of stops in place and and there's been experiments done where all the stops are out to stop a child getting access to certain sites and they they if they want to find them they will find them but it just means if access is earlier then those difficult conversations and maybe this is easier for me to say because I don't have a kid so I'm not going to have to have that difficult conversation but the conversation that all parents are like oh god I've got to talk to them about sex has to happen earlier and while the risk of that is you're like well I'm making them aware of stuff it's am I telling them like Father Christmas doesn't exist once you know that you can't put it back in its box there is that risk but does it outweigh that you might be keeping them safer it's it's that difficult balance of if your child is already getting access to porn, violent porn, like you need to have a conversation immediately. Um, but we also need to try and push back that point that children can totally freely access porn content. So I do agree, conversations are really important about parents. Parents need to be kind of actively involved in their kids' social media use. But we can't just accept that enormous, vast corporations with huge amounts of money uh, can do absolutely nothing to stop literally children seeing the work, like literally criminal content. And I think that is probably our our favourite push next is try and get those big sites to take responsibility for the content they they show to their child users, the, the users that they actively welcome. I should mention actually, yeah, so Pornhub, who we obviously have issues with, <laughs> Pornhub were really excited to right to press before Christmas about their kind of review of the year, like what happened on, on their site, all the kind of cool tags that people have been using. And they were really excited to point out kind of Harry Potter content and like basically the fact that they've got porn, which is, we would say, targeted to younger users, to child users, and that kind of childified porn, where it's, you know, children-friendly characters. So they know that it's not, you know, they know that their user group are not all adults and I think are really happy to sort of welcome young new users. So you absolutely need government action on this. It is monstrous. And I think we've become far too used to porn in children's lives, in, in teenagers' lives. It's not a positive. It's something that's having real kind of real life impact. 
that's beyond just the initial kind of distress that it might cause kids. Is that the next campaign for We Can't Consent to This? Yeah, so our next stage of the campaign is pushing parliamentarians to make the law work <laughs> that they have passed. So, but really making sure the government, the government know what they want on this. It isn't happening. They need to sort it. But very much for us is trying to push back on the free availability of horrible, violent porn, which is literally just pouring out and which children are gaining access to. And I think we've all been a bit relaxed about till now. I I think that's going to be a huge part of what we do next. The online safety bill, is, is now called, is going to be in Parliament this year. So that's a great opportunity to say, this is horrific. Like this, this shouldn't be happening. And these megalithic companies should be forced to protect children. So where can people join in the roar against all of this, please? We are online. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, our website, we can't consent to this.uk. Um, we have a join up link for, for people on there. We're all on, we had a bit of a collective baby boom in the campaign. So we were a bit slow in terms of it was really badly timed but we're all slowly returning to campaigning now and yet a recognition that there's so much more to do on this that won't just be this year and and next year and and we must say as well Scotland and Northern Ireland look like they're going to be proposing similar law change on rough sex defences which is positive really good but we need to make sure that that happens and that any law works once it gets passed so yeah heaps to do Fiona, thanks as ever for joining me in your very glamorous pajamas. I've got to say, I had no idea that. I thought it was just a lovely blouse. <laughs> Stealth pajamas, <laughs> the best pajamas. Um, yeah, no, such a pleasure to join you. And yeah, I think well, this is already starting to make a difference. You know, these are big, difficult things to change. We're talking about decades of hideous a- attitudes. So I'm really hopeful that things will actually change this year and it will continue to get better but there are going to be things which go wrong and it's horrible and there's stuff happening out there now which is awful and to some extent we just need to keep chivying to make the world better but yeah what a year to have a daughter in just think Standard issue for all women.